Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kanturi and welcome to Journey Podcast, your weekly podcast on transformational journeys. Hello everybody, I have Jeremy Rodrick with me today. He's a best-selling author, kung fu master, Pan America champion, former member of military, former corporate wage slave, and former factory worker, husband, and father. Master Jeremy Rodrick has been through many seasons and adventures in his life. Today he's a speaker, author, teacher, and consultant to his families. to all the families i'm sorry <laughs> to the families helping parents and kids improve their clarity confidence and communication and the six golden ticket method jeremy has also filed for bankruptcy had a car repo- reposted gone through a breakup and had to live in his place of business because he lost where he was living and he even lived out of for a tent for some time and today we are going to talk about his story and he is going to explain us his complete journey in his words welcome to our show thank you so much and sorry for all the mistakes that i was talking oh no you're fine it's 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 awesome and thank you for sharing and i'm excited to be here and and let's have like a really cool conversation cuz i love to share and if somebody can find something worthwhile for their journey that's the goal right Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, please tell us like what happened to you in your life and why did you start? <laughs> why are you choosing to be a coach today and what is the journey through the martial arts that you have done? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. So it, it all started when I was born. That was where it all began. Um and it turns out I didn't know it at the time because for me it was just a one-way thing and it's like, "Hey, here I am. Let's do this." Um it turns out my mom actually had eight miscarriages. There was uh three 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 losses then my brother then two more and then me and then like three more so there was a lot of of effort to get me here and as a kid i went so i went through some unfortunate stuff around 5 or 6 years old but i found out about the fact that my mom had so many miscarriages right around 8 or 9 years old and i really wasn't happy with myself and about life and so this idea of like like if my parents had stopped at 2 which is what they wanted my brother wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be here so yeah you know, that that made me feel really guilty for being alive because i've got siblings who who didn't get to make it and and here i am and they're not and why and to have that awareness at 8 9 years old is not normal yeah and then i had been through unfortunately i had been through some abuse um at 5 and 6 and so childhood trauma especially childhood sexual trauma it pivots a person away from being a child and into being a teenager and they don't always have the mental and emotional skills to manage that right and really switching between what i call a child brain just regular kid and a teen brain it happens right between usually 9 and 12 kids become teenagers and they get interested in stuff and they push back against authority and they argue about things and they start having their own ideas i started doing that at 5 and 6 And so because I said so, quit working with me and very quickly I didn't know who I could trust and what's right or what's real. And my parents were fantastic. They gave me unconditional love, but a lot of ways I raised myself. So by 9 I had quit smoking and by the time I was 12 I was doing cross-cultural religious studies. I had read the Torah, I had read the Bible twice, I was looking into Zoroastrianism, I had read the Rigveda, the Upanishads. um i had read through a bunch of the taoist texts and buddhist texts like i was really hungry for why the world is the way that it is and, and i didn't know who i could rely on and mm. so that's kind of i've always been you know 9 years old what's your goals in life well i want to be an enlightened taoist immortal and i want to be a billionaire and i want to be a kung fu master and i want to be a dad and now i've got two of the four still working on the other two so it's just that 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 massive amount of pain caused me to like how do i get resolution how do i fix this because luckily for me i was traumatized far enough along that i actually did have empathy and i did actually care about other people because if you have that abuse happen younger um before empathy really begins to show up in a person that can lead to some really really monstrous stuff and so my my morality and empathy and and consideration for others it was slower to develop so like 1517 is really when I started caring about other people more than just myself and I kind of was out of that place of scarcity but I didn't know what to do with it. And so I ended up um I graduated high school and I almost didn't cuz <laughs> I don't like writing about what I don't like writing about. 
and I don't like writing the deadline. And I only needed one class my senior year, which was English. So I picked newspaper. And then I found out, oh, I don't like writing about stupid things. And I don't like writing to deadline. I'll get it done when I get it done. So I, I almost had an F and that was the only class I needed. So I almost got to do five years of high school instead of four. And then after I graduated, um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do in college. So I ended up in a sandpaper factory and I was working and not really happy with my life. And that's kind of what drove me into starting martial arts. And I started when I was 20 and I started in March. And in May, we had a grandmaster come and visit my teacher's teacher. So my, my Kung Fu grandfather. Yeah. And he came and did a workshop. I couldn't make it because I was working in the sandpaper factory. Uh, but I came out for social night that, that night. I call that Kung Fu life. And it's the idea of take the principles of martial arts off the training floor and out of physical violence and like put it into your life. And the idea of being efficient, the idea of being focused and not being attached or taking things personal. And Grandmaster Ming... Uh, fantastic teacher, wonderful man. I'm, I'm still a student of his. And he heard me say something to myself out loud about myself that was destructive and negative. And he stopped what he was doing and he looked me in the eyes and he said, don't talk to yourself like that. And the way he said it, who he was and how I represented him in my life, because I'm sure my parents told me stuff similar, yeah. but their stuff kind of glazed past. You know, you're my yeah. parents, you have to say that stuff. But when he said it, it was like, bam, and it hit me and it made me start really paying attention to my internal dialogue. How am I talking to myself? And I realized I'm, I'm massively angry, defensive, like just, just all this vitriol in my, in my head and in my heart going, man, where's all this stuff coming from? And that's how I began to unpack the trauma and the memories began to come back and, and I began to get resolution. So I lived in, in the, in, unconsciously in the trauma for about 20 years. And then I spent about another 10 years getting it resolved. So um, when you mentioned that you started getting that back, mm -hmm. do you remember the details of it? Or is just like, yeah, something happened to you like that? It took time. And um, it took probably about six or seven years for all the memories to come back. And I've since, I've gone and gotten master level certifications in neurolinguistic programming, hypnotherapy, neurostrategies. I've done a lot of deep work on myself and then I've gotten certifications to help other people and facilitate that for them. Um, and one of the things we discovered as I was going through all the training, a lot of times when we go through trauma, we don't know how to process it. So our unconscious takes it away Yes. and kind of keeps it from us. And as we gain new knowledge, new skills, new abilities, new contexts, our unconscious will bring it back and be like, okay, are you ready to deal with this? Yeah. And if we are, we will. And if we're not, we start to freak out and our unconscious goes, okay, my bad. And it takes it back away from us again until mm -hmm. we gain new knowledge and new skills. And so it was like a, a slow realization because my earliest memory was the trauma. Uh, but it wasn't like a solid, clear thing. It was just bits and pieces because there's there's holes in my unconscious. There's holes in my memory for whatever reasons. And um, I went to a workshop. There's a Tony Robbins event called Date with Destiny. And he took us to an exercise and what is your earliest memory? And then what was the moment right before that? And I was able to access that memory before the trauma. And I was just this five-year-old kid playing out in the, out, out in the dunes they, where we lived, we were in Saudi Arabia and we were on a military base and the military housing on the outside of it, there was construction. And so there was a fence around our area and the kids I grew up with there, we would go and play in the sand dunes and we would dig little tunnels and just do all kinds of fun stuff. And so I got to remember before the trauma and the, the, just the joy and the person that I was and the level of just positive energy and creative and playful. And so now that's my earliest memory, which is like, it was a really fantastic gift. Um, and so, yeah, it, it just, it came back bit by bit. And um, as I got knowledge and skills to process it, it came back more and more. And right. now you know, I've integrated it and released it and it, it doesn't drive anything anymore, but I, I see the patterns and kind of how going through that trauma and going through the anger and then going through the recovery, it, it humanized me and it gave me, because if I had stayed that five-year-old little kid, I wouldn't understand people and the pains that they have and the, and the, the, the problems that they had because I was so on a different level of awareness, I would have been useless. Um, yeah. And the fact that I've gone through this stuff, it helps me to serve others because I know what it's like to be in very dark places. And so 
you know, I look at it now, I, I, I look at it as a gift and I would never say that to anybody else or that their trauma is their gift. Um, that's for them to design. But I can say in my life, it, it's been a big shift. Yeah, interesting way of putting it, actually. I have heard people saying that thing like, yes, my traumas are a gift because that made me who I am today. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, your capacity of taking in, taking that and accepting it, working through that and becoming a person that you are today is not a small thing. As you mentioned, mm -hmm. like, yeah, it took some time for you. And some people just need like, yeah, maybe five years or so, and some need more than that. So you should have that mental strength within you to accept that and work through those years to actually come out of that situation. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 the truth is it doesn't have to take that long. Um, I could have gotten other places quicker with different tools and mm -hmm. different people around me. But it's stuff that if, if we don't talk about trauma, we don't talk about how to resolve it, and people just don't know what other tools are there, because yeah. a lot of times people that go through trauma, their identity gets built into that. And for a long time, I believed, right? I had failed relationships and there was a part of me because it happened so young, you know, I'm a little kid. I went out past the security guard I was, I, or the security gate. I was out where I wasn't supposed to be. And then I got caught and then I got punished by the security guard, right? Something bad happened. I didn't blame him. I blamed myself. And then I, I couldn't tell my parents because if they know that I was out playing where I wasn't supposed to be playing, they're going to get mad at me and I'm going to get in more trouble because mm. right, little kids equate to break the rules, get in trouble. Well, I already got punished, but there's a part of me because I never told my parents the truth at five years old about being traumatized by the security guard that that little five-year-old piece kept driving the bus for like decades and I deserve to be punished. And because I lied to my parents and didn't tell them the truth. And so I have to be punished. So I would create circumstances in my life where other people would be forced to punish me or I would sabotage situations because I don't really deserve to be happy or healthy or successful because I'm actually a liar and I'm actually this and this. And, and you don't realize that just the way little kids grow up, the way they associate to, to trouble and consequences and discipline and all those wonderful words so that, that their identity becomes connected to the trauma. And if you get rid of the trauma, you get rid of their identity. They don't know who they are anymore. There is nothing. Yeah. 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 And that's scary for people that they hate what's driving them, but they don't know how to define themselves without it. Right. And that's, that's a scary place to be is because, yeah. well, well, who am I if I don't have my pain? Yeah. And it's like, well, you could be this amazing person who's learned through those lessons and now you can help yourself and help others. Yep. And you don't have to keep like punishing yourself. Have you ever got a chance to talk to your parents about this situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I told them about it when I was 36. That was the first time they heard about it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought I'm the weird one. Okay. <laughs> Why is that? I spoke about it to my mom, I think last year. Yeah. 43 right now. Yeah. Well, you're not ready you're not ready you, you can't force that it's not about me being ready for me it's like my uh, i can say like my culture or so they mm -hmm. don't even accept that there is something that this kind of a thing can happen mm -hmm. so i actually like told them when it happened and that age itself like i believe i was seven or eight i'm i'm mm -hmm. thinking yeah i actually told them but it came to a point like the person who was doing it was right behind me and he again like picked me up in front of my parents and kissed me and again said like oh i i miss my grandchild so much that's why i was like yeah playing with your daughter hope that is fine with you little that my parents understood at the final time my parents are like oh this old man is like missing he was like what 55 55 plus at the point of time mm -hmm. so my parents looking at that situation was like yeah, little, I mean, that's what, that, that's an old guy missing his granddaughter. So woman, I what's wrong in pampering you? He's just playing with you and pampering you. That's okay. I mean, that's yeah, okay. Now, now, if you're not comfortable, that, you're not comfortable. For us, it is, that concept is not there at all. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, I, I have students in the Indian community and yeah, it's, it's, I'm sorry, your child just told you they're not comfortable. We need to listen to that. As I said, like, yeah, that was not a concept at all. This kind of, a, I mean, acceptance of this kind of a thing is happening itself is not there. Awareness of existing, uh, this kind of a situation is not there for my parents. 
So since then for me, it is like, okay, this is normal. Whatever is he's doing to me, it is normal. Right. I never really felt like afterwards, though I personally, like for my body, I feel different. But again, like since my parents already said like, yeah, it, it's nothing that you have to worry about. He's just an old guy. So don't, don't think too much on that. That's how it started for me. As I said, like, yeah, that's my normal after that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I violently disagree with that because it's, you know, you have a right to feel warm, big and happy inside and anyone or anything that does not help you to feel warm, big and happy needs to be challenged. Right. Not, not necessarily that something wrong is going on, but we got to challenge though. Hold on. Why do you, you feel upset? You feel small, sad, cold inside. We got to get to that. Oh, oh, okay. You feel this way because, and then it makes sense because it's something new or it's something you're not comfortable because you don't feel like you're very good at like riding a bike but somebody putting any part of anything anywhere that you don't, we, I do a section with my students in the Kung Fu school. We talk about good touch, bad touch, no secrets, mm. right? And, and bad touch is any physical contact in, with another human being that makes you feel bad about yourself. It could be anything. It could be a pat on the, on the head. It could be a pat on the back. It doesn't yeah. matter. Anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, makes you feel small, sad, cold, that's not okay. And we make that abundantly clear for the kids because they need to have a right to their own personhood, their own personal, physical, mental, emotional space. You are allowed that. Every human being should be allowed that. The only reason someone should be touching you that you're not okay with is if you're a danger to yourself or others, right? I got, when I was like four and we lived in Turkey, I was on the counter dancing naked with a knife because you know I'm yes. four and we're in Turkey and they spoil kids. And my mom came in the room and yanked the knife out of my hand and smacked me on the butt. And I started crying and they had like a little housekeeper and she was like, but madame, he's only a child. And it's like, let him dance on this, on the table with a knife. He's not going to be a child much longer. Right. <laughs> but, but in that culture, young little boys are allowed to do pretty much anything at that, you know, in that time, it may have changed now, but that's like, no, that's not okay. And, and that was a situation. Yeah. I probably should have felt small, sad and cold dancing naked with a knife probably a good boundary right there you know but still if, if I was super upset about it my parents would have had the talk and been like okay what's going on why are you upset what, what's what's hurt you know what are you feeling and we would have figured out like maybe I need to feel bad because like I stole a case of sodas and had a soda fight with it in the backyard because <laughs> I did that once <laughs> yes uh, yeah you were mentioning when you were at 20 years old. Please continue. Sorry to distract you in between. Oh, you. you're fine. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. So, yeah, I started the Kung Fu and, and really that the beautiful thing about martial arts was it gets the physical, the mental, the emotional, the social. It gets everything to link because I was very intellectually dominant. Um, I met one of my Kung Fu brothers, Master Chango, and he's a great soul he's just a wonderful person fantastic sense of humor and he kind of he's the type of guy that likes to find what bothers you and just kind of pick at you about it in a playful way just because he knows it gets under your skin we had a a, a kung fu brother of ours he called him biscuit because no it makes no sense to call him biscuit whatsoever so he just started calling him biscuit because he knew it would get under his skin and be like why are you calling me biscuit that doesn't make any sense and he would he would sit there and noodle on it but when i first met master chongo and he was a, a purple sash back then so he's still a student uh, he went to shake my hand first night. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't do that. And he's like, oh, really? Why is that? And I said, well, shaking hands is an ancient symbol between warriors that they're not carrying a weapon, but you've trained your body. You know, you do martial arts. You've trained your body to be a weapon. That makes you a liar. I don't believe in lying. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for three years, he hated me. And, and he was <laughs> like, oh, I hope he makes it to sparring because he was going to beat the crap out of me because he hated me. I was such an arrogant, scrawny, white kid from the suburb, thinks he knows everything. And then when I finally did get to start doing sparring, he beat the crap out of me and he couldn't hurt me because every time he knocked me down, punched me, kicked me, I was like, cool, do it again. Like, how'd you do that? Like, like, cause I actually in the training, my real attitude showed up and I'm curious and I'm playful and I want to understand everything. And how did you do that? That's so cool. And that ego went away. And so over time he realized how I presented myself is not who I really was. There was something else going on. But it took that time to see through because I just I had such a fear and I knew at the time my belief was you're going to reject me at some point because I'm always too much. Mm -hmm. 
So I know you're going to reject me. So I'm just going to save time and I'm going to make you reject me on my terms now. Mm. Just to get that out of the way. We're not going to be friends. Let's just get that over with. And so it was a massive, huge chip on my shoulder. And I was very intellectually dominant. And, and it was just a way of defending myself proactively. The cool part is when you're in Kung Fu school and you got a room full of people that can beat the crap out of you, they don't care what you say. They're just going to punch you in the face. It, it cuts through a lot of BS, a lot of belief systems. It cuts through a lot of those layers to get to the, really the heart of the matter. So in our system, we look at there's three levels of accomplishment. The base is... I can physically control you, physically shut you down. That's a really important skill, but that's just the foundation. The next level up is we can have an exchange and I can change your mind. And you might not like me, but at least we understand each other. We can have like mutual respect, mutual boundaries. But the highest level is we have an engagement, could be a conversation, could be a fight, could be anything, but we exchange energy of some sort. And in that exchange, I change your heart and we become friends. And that's the highest level, but it's built on the mental and the yeah. physical, not go up here and teach peace and love because not everybody wants to play peace and love. Some people want to play violence and control and domination. Great. I speak that language too. That's my first language. Then I have this mental language to leave. So we talk about be real is always the first step. Yeah. Be compassionate is the second step. Create beauty. It's the intersection of being real mm. and compassionate. And that's the highest level of skill in the system is how can you create those moments of beauty? And so then it's like, oh, now we go back to why are we learning violence? So that we have an option to say, no, thank you. Cause I'm better at it than you are. Have you met the wall? And then we move on. So it gives us more control about our internal world and the world around us. After, after that, so what happened to you? Why did you choose to be a coach? And what is that actually like giving you back so like, yeah, what's in it for me? I'm not asking in that sense. Right, right. But yes. Yeah. So, so I've been through a bunch of stuff and I brute forced a lot of things and just kind of figured out through trial and error, through deductive reasoning. Uh, there's a great book called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself. I figured that out on my own, just, just thinking it through. And like, because once I noticed how I talked to myself, I started paying attention to the words and I began to change things around. And then 10 years later, I read what to say when you talk to yourself. And I was like, well, oh, that would have saved time because he lays out there's five levels of self-talk. So for me, I have a big need to grow because that's just part of, I just, I love growing and learning, expanding my awareness, right? When I was a kid, I would say, I hate not having the answer, but the truth is I love having the answer. And so being in that space, as I grow at the same time, growth just for the sake of growth can become cancer. So when I grow, it increases my capacity to contribute to others. And so if, if I can save you time, this is my job as a Sifu, is save you time, save you space, save you energy. I've already made these mistakes. Let me share with you my mistakes so you don't make them. Yes. And then you go make new and interesting mistakes and you share your mistakes with me and now we both learn. And it's yep. a win-win. Yep. And there's already enough scarcity and enough pain and enough difficulty in the world so if you want to fight darkness, you don't fight darkness. You become so alive and a light in your own life. There's no room for the darkness around you because you're on fire. So then I got the flame. There's two more ways to spread light. Number two is be a mirror and reflect the yeah. amazingness in other people. Yes. Because if you watch, a lot of people have stuff that happened in their childhood. It might not be all the way to where I was at, but they have pain from their youth. And so they sometimes will delete their own amazingness or they'll play it down like it's no big deal. And they need that mirror to shine the light back at them and say, no, you're amazing, freaking own that. And so we need the candles, but we also need the mirrors because not everybody needs to be on stage all the time. So sometimes it's nice to just sit back and shine a light on someone else and go, wow, you're really cool. Uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a group for dads and today I'm part of the leadership team. Today we had our meeting and one of the questions was, cause we all lead calls all week long in your call group, what's your superpower? And so we all kind of talked and then we had three guys on the call, me and two others in our small group. And we were like um, talking about each one of us and what are our gifts? Because for us, it's kind of just normal. It's not, it's not a superpower cause it's just us, but the impact it makes on everyone else. Yeah, definitely. And, and so as a coach, being able to help people 
they can release trauma. They can release literally, I think the, the largest chunk of time was probably 60, 60 something years. Something happened to this person when they were three, when another sibling was born. So three years old and they found out, well, their parents never really wanted them. And so they're a multimillionaire and they make a world impact. They're in their sixties. So for 60 years, they've carried this story, this BS, this belief system that my parents didn't really want me. And that's partly what helped drive them to the high level of achievement is to make that impact so that other people don't feel worthless, yeah. but they were never able to give that to themselves. And so in one session, because a lot of the work I do is just one conversation, but in one session, we were able to release 60 years of resentment towards wow. her parents, towards her brother. And she's like, wow, we got done with it. And she's like, like, she's never had that. She's been to therapists. She's been to counselors. She's been to coaches. She's done all kinds of stuff. And we were able to just kind of reframe the meanings and she was able to release everything. And now there's no more anger, sadness, fear, hurt, guilt. There's no more negative energy directed at her family or at herself because the light that she had that allowed her to achieve was still flashing over and shining on her parents, shining on her brother and her family. And this is the pain. And so reflecting back, look at all the amazing things that you wouldn't have had if it hadn't been for that realization being able to forgive herself and forgive them because what they said and what they meant, see three-year-olds don't really filter that very well. Yeah. And so she's been running that pattern for 60 plus years. Cool, let's get rid of that. And to be able to, to help facilitate that, to be the ladder that she kind of climbed to get to this new awareness, like that's the coolest stuff. And, and it's, a, it's, it's not a high, like an adrenaline high, but when you see somebody else click and just the the internal world shifts a little bit and they kind of they drop into themselves and they literally feel like they just came home in a place they've never been in their whole lives yeah like i know that feeling i know what it's like to be home yeah. and to be able to help somebody else that's the coolest thing um and that's why i like i love to coach and then you know a lot of the work i do is with parents and dads because if you get the parents back to centered and they're now home they show up with each other completely different and they show up differently for the kids. And if we want the world to be better, hmm. it's not gonna come from outside on top, forcing it down, you will be, right? If we force people to be diverse, that's not diversity. Hmm. That's still totalitarianism in another label because we're forcing you from the outside to think what we want you to think. So if we force you, I, I got in an argument when I was in college and they were like, you know, we, we had this policy and blah, blah, blah. and. I was very much a, a Taoist and a Buddhist back then. And I was like, but, but if you, I raised my hand and like there's 400 people in this orientation and I raised my hand and they, they called on me and I was like, but if you force people to be inclusive, that's not inclusivity. Yep. And the room exploded because half the people agreed with me and half the people called me a monster. And for two weeks, you're that guy at orientation. And I was like, yeah, I never said what I believe. I just asked the question. And it really comes from intrinsic versus extrinsic. And if it's outside forcing you, there's always going to be a resistance. Yep. But if it grows up inside of you, I think everybody has a right to be heard and seen yep. and felt and understood and appreciated. I think every human being deserves that. Even if we disagree with them, even if what they're trying to accomplish is monstrous, what's interesting is when you allow people to be seen and heard and felt and understood and appreciated, a lot of that tension goes away. It's when they don't feel seen, when they don't feel heard, when they don't feel understood, that's when the anger and the pushback and all the things begin to build because you're not allowing them to be where they are. Yeah. Doesn't mean I agree with what you're saying, but let me at least understand it because now I can engage with you. If I understand you from your point of view versus I argue with you by understanding my point of view, my or your point of view. No, 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 I gotta really understand where you're coming from because as a species, we only want five things. And really we only want one thing, happy, healthy, safe, wealthy, wise. The problem is because the way we raise our kids, happy, well, you gotta be healthy to be happy. Yep. You gotta be wealthy to be happy. You gotta be wise to be healthy, uh, happy. You gotta be safe to be happy. And it's like, no, you don't need any of those things. Happiness is just happiness. a destination. It's not a destination. Yep. You can have a terminal disease and be happy because happiness is a choice. Anytime you choose to notice you're happy, you're happy. It's that quick. But as kids, 
no, 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 no. To get dessert, you have to listen and clean your room and get all your homework done and not be a bother. Yep. Yep. And, 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 and when we give people what are called and rules, your happiness is now in other people's control yes. and you've got multiple dependencies versus I get to feel good anytime I make, my, I make myself smile or make somebody else smile. Well, how hard is that? <laughs> this is really easy to make me smile because I love smiling. It's like my favorite. It's one of the best things to do with your face. Yeah. So you change that story. So we get parents integrated. What kind of kids are they going to raise? Because then the parents don't need it. Well, we have to go get the bigger car, the bigger house. We have to live this whatever versus, nah, we're happy. It doesn't really matter all that stuff. And I, I get to connect with my kids and I get to light them up. Last night I was putting my daughter to bed and I played a couple of songs that I really love that are from like the 1970s, late 60s, but it's um, Horse With No Name and Southern Cross. And I realized as I was playing these two songs, like I'm putting her to bed and I'm playing these songs and I'm like rubbing her forehead but I can like give her this huge library of music to love and it all connects into memories of her dad from when she was a little girl. Yeah. I'm like, dude, that's the coolest thing ever. And now I want to tell like everybody, I did this thing last night and dude, cause I love music going back to like 1940s and I've got music I like from across cultures too. So my daughter is learning like songs in Japanese and songs in Korean and songs in Russian because I don't care. Music is music and it's good. Listen to it. Figure out the words because of what you're giving your unconscious. But so she has this weird, diverse, eclectic love of music. It's like, what a cool gift. Do that by luck or do that by choice? Well, I'm going to do that by choice. And then who else can I tell about this? Because it's cool. Yeah. That's easy. Right. And, and now she has songs when she hears, she'll be like, oh, I remember my dad making me breakfast. And we had that song playing. I remember my mom and my dad dancing in the kitchen. Listen to that song. True. Why not? Yeah, of course. This stuff is there fun. Are like small memories that she can connect to whatever she feels like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Missing or even like normally too. She can teach mm -hmm. the same in, in her own way to her kids. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why I love this, because if trauma can be passed generationally, then so can the opposite of trauma. Too. Yes, of Awesomeness, course. abundance, like I don't know the right label for it off the top of my head, but I mean, Definitely. healthy coping mechanisms. Yeah, let's just do that. Absolutely, absolutely. You being a coach when you were talking about something in between, a question clicked for me. Yeah. How do you say, like, I mean, this is completely off topic on what we are talking so far. It's all good people talk about rape rape being like from different perspectives different varieties let's just say mm -hmm. how do you define a rape between wife and husband would you consider that as a rape in the first place if yes how if no why it's all about consent right because there's there's physical rape which is which is penetrating a bodily orifice without consent it could be a finger in the ear. It could be a finger in the nose. It doesn't matter what body orifice. If anybody's doing anything without your permission to your body, that's not okay. Whether you're married or not, that doesn't, that doesn't make you property. It doesn't give them a right to touch you without your permission. Like that's that full hard stop, end of conversation. Nobody, and we, I said five years old, four years old with my students, nobody has a right to touch you without your permission unless you're being a danger to yourself or others. That's it. Agreed. Period. I'll, I'll, Doesn't I'll, matter. Married, not married, mom, dad, cop, police, nothing. None of that matters. The police have limits on what they're allowed to do. There's a thing called the use of force continuum. Can't Cops can't just decide because you said something I don't like, I'm going to shoot you dead in the street. I mean, they might do that, but then they're going to face consequences of that because that is an illegal act. It's an immoral act. I'll, I'll ask more into that question, the same question that I asked. Yeah. For yeah. wife and husband relationship, for example, like I mean, the relationship is not that great, but they're mm -hmm. still together trying to figure it out. Yeah. Again, you might just say it like, yes, it is not consent. So it is considered as like a violation of your thing. Mm -hmm. However, I have heard people saying, not coaches, but regular people saying like, they are like wife and husband. And if the wife doesn't like, but she's still staying with her husband and still figuring out for whatever the reasons that if she wanted to get out of that relationship, she's still figuring out how to take the finances, like split the kids or like any other properties, 
or even her mental strength or mental stability. In that process, it might take a week, a year, or even 10 years. It doesn't matter. But in that period of time, how long do you expect the husband not to touch her? And why is that so hard for them, for the wives to understand it is her husband and she has to allow it. And she I has, really like answer to that debate kind of a thing because I, I don't want to get into that. Well, but she has a right to her own personhood. And if she chooses to, uh, the real question is, is she like trying to figure out our relationship and make it work? Is she trying to get herself in a situation so she can leave safely? Either are. I mean, why does that matter? Even if she's figuring out to make the relationship better, but well, well, it, it matters that if if she's trying to figure things out, you know, should we be together? Should we not be together? Okay, that's one thing. If they are cohabitating, that's another thing. And then the third thing you're going to run into is you're going to run into the human animal side of it because human animals have needs, right? We need food, shelter. We need, we have a need for physical touch. However, she's not interested at the moment. Then he needs to get his ass in gear to figure out what's going on and step up or step out. Like, like that's where the masculine needs to like plant the flag. Am I in this to make, am I in this to win this or am I out? Because if it's, there are couples that live very long time and they have a sexless marriage. It's just not important to them. And they have other people that if it's not, if we're not knocking boots like every other day, why are we together? Yep. There's no, there's no wrong in that. It's, but it's how do two people living together find the space where they both can live their best quality life. And if it comes to the realization, she's got 87 other things going on in her life and her stress and all the different things. And he's like, but baby, I need you then that's not a winnable game because your need structures are different. And so all it's going to be is pain for both of you, her, because she's saying get off of me and him saying, why don't you love me? And because he's physically stronger and bigger than her, he can take things farther than he should. That doesn't excuse it, but that's recognizing the human animal. I had a period of time where I was single and I had about two and a half years where the only physical contact I had with another human being was only in the martial arts school. And it wasn't anybody touching my back. There was no hugs. There were no the handshake occasionally, but I'm not, you know, I, I have boundaries around my physical space, but it was always with a defense up. It was always with a guard. Mm -hmm. So was it, was it easy for me when somebody started to pay attention to me? Was it easy for me to read into that more than was actually being offered? Absolutely, because you have a person, a human being who's in scarcity and is literally starving of human contact. So somebody just innocently flirting could all of a sudden become, oh, she really likes me. We need to get together. I need to ask her out and like all this extra energy because there's all this back pressure. Yep. So what the guy can do is they have these devices that you can buy online that can simulate certain experiences. And if you need to resolve some tension, freaking resolve some tension. But if you want to figure things out with your wife and make things work, then figure things out and make things work. She is not a product you buy online to satisfy your needs. Does that make sense? Yep. Thanks. I mean, that. it's really because you're dealing with a human being. Like, like I know in my marriage, if the countertops in the kitchen and the dining room table and the living room, if I know all the flat surfaces in the house are cluttered, my wife is unapproachable for physical intimacy beyond rubbing her feet. Because in her mind and in her heart, our house is such a mess, she's just not in the energy state where she's approachable for anything more than the barest of minimum things. Yeah. So I can make her wrong for that. Not a great idea. I can try to force her to do something she is not interested in doing or energetically. Also not a great idea. Or I can help clean the house yeah. and help her be in a place where she's approachable and she feels settled in her heart and settled in her mind. And then it's easier for her to feel settled in her body. I mean, what game do I want to win, right? And so for me and for the people I coach, I'm like, look, just figure out what her rules are. Once you know what the rules are, play the game. Create a win-win. You feel good. I feel good together. Obligation and expectation really leads to sexy fun times. Playfulness. I have, quite, I have people even saying like, I mean, why do I need to figure out her needs? Why can't she come to my place? and help me out 
And sometimes the woman also like, yeah, leave it for that minute and just like, yeah, feel let her husband or like whoever that is, wanted to get it out and then yeah, finish it and leave. But okay. once or twice, if that is happening, that should not be something like it can happen every single time whenever they want it. Right. Well, you got to be careful with shoulds because shoulds are somebody's rules, right? And I'm not going to project into anybody else's rules. But if a guy says to me, well, you know, why should I figure out blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, I mean, I'm not going to say you're wrong because I don't think you're wrong. I understand where you're coming from, but how's that working? And if she did the same thing and she just walls off, it's called stonewalling. And she just puts this gulf between you and says, well, he needs to come to me. And you say, well, she needs to come to me. Who wins? Divorce lawyer. Because that situation is untenable. You can't win. So do you want to be right or do you want to get results? Which is it? She should come to me. How's that working for you? Well, it's not. Then your results kind of tell you, right? My wife and I are very active in our intimate life. But I also know every seven to 10 days, if she doesn't get a date night, she starts to get really irritable and, and really just critical and just everything bothers her. And then I'll be like, hey, uh, babe, why, why, the, why the static? I'm, hey, honey, you want to go on a date tonight? Oh my gosh, yes, that would be so great. Because she's so focused in on production mode, she forgot about her own needs. And she forgot about, because she's taking care of everybody else and the house and the daughter and the family and the other family and my family and like, like she, all the things. And because she's so energy out in so many places, she forgot to put it back. This morning, she went and signed up for... Um, uh, a spinning class for like six months, it's $600, $100 a month, unlimited classes. And she feels like really nervous and she's like sweaty palm and scary. I'm like, babe, you haven't spent any real amount of money on yourself since COVID started back in March. You bought some workout clothes, go get your workout, sign the damn paper. Mm. You deserve this. But but she got up at 4.45 this morning to go to a 5.30 uh, class. Like, babe, that's awesome. That, that discipline, that desire, you deserve this. And if you need a nap in the middle of the day, guess what? I'll distract the daughter. We're going to go for a walk. We'll, we'll figure something out so you can have some downtime so you can charge your batteries. The more I help my wife win and the more I light her up, she has that energy to feed back into me and my daughter and everybody else. And when I have her filled to overflowing, then she wants to spend more intimate time with me. Wait, it could be that easy? Yeah. Right. The old timey pumps that you have to, you know, the, have the suction pump thing out in the backyard that you have to do the thing. Well, if you just go up to it and go, it doesn't work. You have to put water in there because the water creates a seal. Then you have a vacuum and then you can draw. You got to give if you want to receive. Yeah. I got to make sure my wife is lit up because then I know she has that energy to share it back at me. If I demand she takes care of me, am I a baby? Do I need her to wipe my butt too? And when you throw that back at a man and be like, really, you need your wife, you need wife to wipe your butt. Really? Is that what you need? And they're like, no. Oh, okay. Cause it sure sounds like that. Help me understand how it's not. And they, they really can't argue with me after that point. I'm not going to say they're wrong. Cause that's not how I operate. I'll say when I'm wrong and I won't say when I'm right, but I will say when they're right. Yeah. I just wanted to ask that. Thank you. Thanks for yeah, that. Intimacy is a huge complex thing and feminine is much more complicated than masculine. And it's not wrong. It's just, if you want the best, then you have to understand. It's really that, for me, it's that simple. You just have to figure out what's really going on. People like, oh, women are so complicated. I'm like, nah, not really. There's a couple of things you got to understand, but they're not complicated once you realize biggest thing, feminine lives in their heart first, not their mind. Masculine lives in the mind. Masculine says, I don't care how I feel. This is what I promised. This is my commitment. And feminine says, I don't care what I said. This is what I feel to be true. And so if you learn to respect those two balances, everything gets amazing. And men can live in their feminine. Women can live in their masculine. It doesn't have to, it's not, it's not single, single thread. So when you begin to understand that and you can appreciate, oh, she's running in her masculine. I need to show up in a different way the game starts to get a lot simpler and, and what I call the six golden tickets seen, heard, felt, understood, appreciated, then supported. Cause if you try to support somebody without the other five, it comes across as judgment and everything shuts down because hmm. the minute anybody, man or woman feels judged, 
they go on the defense and then they switch to the offense because they get defensive and then they start to attack you and they throw all your stuff back at you. So seen, heard, felt, understood, appreciated. Get that five on there first. Then your support will actually be received. Make them wrong. Refuse to see them. Refuse to hear them. Works with kids. Works with teenagers. Works with single people. Works with married people. Works with grandparents. If you're a human being, those six tickets, that's how, that, that's how you get the gold. I only realized that in like the last month and a half. <laughs> Like have, actually having a label and going, oh, it's those, because I knew those things and I used them, but I never like labeled it until I was talking, I was coaching somebody actually. And as I was doing it, I just went this thing and I went, yeah. And I backed up and I was like, oh, no, it's this, these, I didn't have a name, name for it for about a week. And I was like, yeah, but it's these, these are the six, these are the six, like these are the six, everybody, every human being, these are the six, your political opponent, these are the six, your clients, these are the six, customers, children, every, these are the six, seen, heard, felt, understood, appreciated, supported. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, violate that, doesn't matter. Thank you. Thank I you. like to win and I, and I want to help other people win because if everybody's playing a win-win game, we all get to feel good, who loses? When you're talking about win, one more question. Are you afraid of anything? If so, what is it? If not, why? <sighs> Am I afraid of anything? No, not really. I've, I've done a lot of dumb stuff when I'm still alive. Um, I'm not afraid but I definitely don't want to leave my wife and daughter anytime soon. And I want to make sure that I, I have things covered like life insurance for long-term. So they're protected. That's, but, but yeah, no, not really. I think, I think on the other side, we all find out it's all just unconditional love and you're going to resonate closer or further from that source. And so once I shuffle off the mortal veil and they come join me, we'll see each other again. I'm not stressed about that. And the people who don't want to exist and hate life and well, they'll, they'll cease to exist yep. because I don't, I don't think there's a need to punish somebody. They're busy punishing themselves. Yep. And once they cross over and they see and experience unconditional love without all the filters and they are repulsed by it, then they'll be allowed to just fade and disappear because why, why punish them? They already know in full clarity, they know, and they don't, they don't identify, they don't resonate. It, it, it's abhorrent to them, love and acceptance and connection. They've already been living their hell, so just let them go. Related to that survey, you being a coach right now, helping other people and in return, what you're getting is the satisfaction of helping others. Yeah. Are there any bigger goals are like, what is the next step in your path that you are doing? Um, I, um, I've, I still run the martial arts school and that is looking like it's going to transition here soon to somebody else's hands. And that'll free me up to do more, more coaching. Um, one of the things I'm working on is having a small group program. So I'm working with like 10 to 20 parents at a time for 12 weeks. And we have a series of things we're going through. Um, I have a couple of courses for people to take to kind of elevate their skills. Like if you want to get communication with your kids, like we can transform that in an hour um, and like literally just completely repattern everything. Those are all um, to your coaching only. But yeah. Yeah. That's all coaching. Coaching. What well, next? I'm going there. So then the next thing is with all the different programs, I want to build in or I am building in an affiliate structure where if you bring somebody into the work that I do, I'm going to give you half of whatever they pay. So if they pay $2,000, you get $1,000. If they pay $5,000, you get $2,500. And my goal is in 2021, I want to give away a million dollars because it, it expands my message, which is cool. But, but like, like I have a book and when I sell the book, I make, it's like, I think the Amazon sells the book for like 20 bucks, 25 bucks. I make like $3. That's not going to change my life. $3 all at once. But if you read the book and action, the stuff, it's the only parenting book with a money back guarantee because it works. Like everything in there, it, it works. It's guaranteed. But you can totally transform your family's history and direction and momentum like forever. The value exchange is off the chart. So what can I do to get that book in more people's hands? So I have, you know, I'm selling on Amazon, but you can download it for free off my website. And there's a reason for that, which is get this idea of games worth winning, get that into more families around the world if I could impact 1% of the human population with this idea, all games, right? All kids play games. 
is the game you're playing worth winning and help more families play win-win games in the family? What happens when they go to school and realize people aren't playing win-win games? They can choose not to play or they can influence and get you to play better games. Hmm. And then what happens after school and you start to go into the workforce and we begin to change the culture and we start to look at, but is this a game worth winning? And we actually use that language, say, I don't like the game you're playing. I don't think it's worth winning. Let's play this game instead. And you get to feel good and I feel good, get to feel good at the same time. It's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for the world. Mm-hmm. And this is how, talk about that lighting a candle, be a mirror. Well, the third way to spread light is to create more candles, to light more people up. Yeah. Be a parent, be a teacher, get more people lit up and excited and literally our whole entire planet changes. There's a, a great line from Victor Hugo. There's, there's only one thing more powerful than all the armies of the world. And it's, the, it's an idea whose time has come. And people are talking about how difficult the world is and how dark it feels. It's like, great, be a source of light, play a different game, help people feel good. Right? I teach this to my kids in the Kung Fu school. If you help everybody around you feel warm, big and happy, who wants to mess with you? Nobody. Yep. Fantastic. And if anybody tries, who's there to help you out? Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. easy. It just takes a shift, a little couple of degree shift to go, but, but what am I not getting? I'm not getting this. I'm not getting that. Okay. Well, let go of that for a second. What are you giving? Because if you want to receive, right? If my water bottle is full, it can't receive anything more. And if you're full of scarcity, you can't receive anything because you're too focused on what you're not getting. But if you're completely empty, you don't know what you stand for. That's a problem too. So halfway empty, you know where you stand and you have room to receive and to flow with everyone else also. It's both and, it's not either or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trade expectation for appreciation. Instead of expecting people to do X or Y or Z, appreciate when they do X or Y or Z, even if it's your wife, even if it's your kids, well, they better look me in the eyes. Okay, how's that working for you? Versus I love when you look me in the eyes, you look so strong, high five. Tell the kids what you're doing right. Tell your wife, tell your husband, what are they doing right? Let them score points, hmm. right? For the ladies, guys are stupid. We'll do crazy things to score points. Even if the points don't work for anything. Like, but, but I got, I, if I take out the trash, I get points. I'm gonna go get the trash right now. Versus you ask him, hey, do you think the trash is full? And he looks and he says, no, trash is fine. And now she's upset because he doesn't listen. It's not that he didn't listen. He didn't ask what was the meaning of the question. He yeah. answered the question because masculine is tunnel vision. I answered the question. It's fine. I haven't pushed the trash down twice. It's not spilling over yet. According to my rules, it's not empty. It's not ready to be taken out. But for her, when it's an inch below the lip, it's time to take it out. Push down, not push down, don't care. It's an inch below the lip, needs to go. So then she asks, do you think it looks full? He looks at it and says, no, I don't think it is. <laughs> and now she's upset and he doesn't understand what just happened versus honey could you could you come help me for a second could you could you score like a thousand points could you get like husband points maybe foot rub points a little bit later yeah what i gotta do well you see the trash could you slay the trash monster for me wait if i do that i i I get points (laughs) and and i might get a foot rub later yeah on it off he goes guys are that simple we never we, we get more complicated than the crap that we buy but energetically, we never get that more complicated. We're, we're always playing for points. And the ladies withhold the points. And you, you, well, if he loved me enough, he would know. If he loved me more, he would know. No, you're, you're, that's, that's, other, that's other women. If they knew, they would. They, that's other women. For men, let him win. Score points with you. And he will do crazy crap. He'll build you a house. He'll build the Eiffel Tower, right? Eiffel, this dude built this tower. Ultimately, whatever the story people want to say, it's, he wanted to impress a chick. He wanted to ask her out, but I'm not good enough. I'm going to build this big, huge thing. Look, I built that thing. Can we can we hang out? <laughs> Guys are that simple. Honestly, masculine is that simple. Okay, thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care. <laughs>